Church family, guests and visitors, great to see you. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, today I just want to be your ambassador sent from your kingdom to this kingdom to share a word of hope and peace. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was just about three years ago that our church took a mission journey to the Ukraine. And I wanted to reminisce a little bit with you this morning. Uh, here's a picture of a few of us standing in Kiev. Um, you might know some familiar faces here. My daughter Bella, Ryan Witt, Dan Kaczynski. It was phenomenal. Uh, we had a chance to preach the gospel in Kiev, in Mykolaiv, in Kherson, in Ivanica, uh, places you're hearing in the news talking about the good Samaritan and love that conquers all. It was so incredible to be welcomed by their kindness. We went there to encourage them, to tell them, keep it up, preach the gospel. And they loved us way more than we could ever love them. Uh, they encouraged us so much. And while there are many memories I had from our time there in Ukraine, one of the memories that stands out is a history lesson that I took away. I learned a lot about earthly governments and the tyranny of a bad government. I learned a little bit about Russia in Ukraine, and if you do some research, you can find that 30 million Ukrainians lost their life, not only through forced starvation, but forced military activity in World War II. When it comes to uh, the bishop's experience, here is the bishop of the Ukrainian Lutheran Church. Um, he had a very personal experience because he had a family farm that was just taken by the Russians. Hundreds of acres that they just claimed as their own. Not only that, but then he was forced to serve in the military, in the Russian military, of his enemies, of those who had just taken something so dear from him. Now, at the time, he was celebrating that Ukraine had come a ways. Uh, they were in the form of democracy, away from Russian tyranny. But he still mentioned that the corrupt are electing the corrupt, and there's really no potential for fresh blood. Uh, he still pointed out the problems. In fact, when we were there, because of local ordinances, they could not get water to their church. When we went uh, in their basement, they had this big vat of water uh, that they were making clean in order to use because the local ordinance was not agreed to get them water. I came back to the United States of America. Looking at the state of things here, and I was thankful. <laughs> This was my light way of talking about earthly governments because my experience with earthly government in general has been very good. So let me talk a little about my personal experience. I grew up in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, where the local police officers would give us baseball cards. Does anyone remember that? I remember doing a paper out, finding a, a senator who was so kind, in fact, gave me stickers. I could be his paper boy. My brother roomed with a congressman's son, and they were good Christian people trying to exact change in the form of government. Today, we live in Frankfurt, where I know the mayor, Keith Ogle, who's just a good dude. You should meet him. We have a member who served in Congress here who is a great lady, and she did her best to try to serve God in a very difficult situation. Now, I recognize that my experience may not be your experience. 
I recognize that some of these comments are a little bit Pollyanna, a little bit from my childhood with maybe rose-colored glasses against the complexity of issues that exist. I grant you that. But what I would say is that though is no perfect government, we have a lot to be thankful for. In fact, I was thinking a little bit about a history professor I had. His name was Daniel Deutschlander. And he taught a lot about being a citizen of two kingdoms. Uh, we are citizens here on earth and citizens of heaven, and we have responsibilities for both. And he would comment often about the state of things in America. He would comment about our form of uh, government here in America, of, of democracy. And he had a phrase that has always stuck with me. His phrase was this. He said, democracy is the worst form of government. It's the worst. Except for all the others. <laughs> right, compared to oligarchies, compared to monarchies, compared to dictatorships, right, we have something to be thankful for. When it comes to America, we might be saying right now, man, American politics, they're just the worst. Except for all the others. So what is the state of politics in America? Well, I'm trying to approach this in a light way because it's kind of heavy. In fact, I was reading a news article that says, the title was, Why Outrage Politics Has Such a Grip on American Life. We are in the age of outrage. That's currently the state of things. In fact, this professor on politics from Tufts University, he had this to say. He said, outrage is a business and it's feeding a product. It's supplying a product to people who want to be angry and want to be even more angry about politics. <laughs> it's an interesting commentary. We, we like to be heated. And especially in that realm. And there are so many avenues we can go to that can get us heated. You know what I'm talking about. There are talk shows and news channels. You can tune in. They'll wind you up, won't they? And we are a people wound up like tops with nowhere to go. And not much more than we can do than vote and pray and write letters. And the problem is this, friends. That if we don't handle this correctly, we will not glow in the way God made us to glow. We will not shine in the way God made us to shine. It will obscure our witness in this world. It will close the ears of many people if we do not approach the idea of politics in a better way. And so that's why I think it's so important to talk about guardrails over politics um, but could you pray for your pastors? I mean, what tough topics haven't we covered? I mean, it's, it's known that in polite conversation, you should not talk about religion and politics, and we're doing both here today, right? So pray for us. Um, but, but here's why we're doing it, and, and this was our heart for you, because do you know your pastors love you? We pray for you. We think about you. When, when we see you, we, we get excited. Um, th that just happens. And so when I was thinking out about goal, my goal was this, that you could have peace regardless of what happens on the next election day. That you could have peace regardless of the earthly issues going on in your community. Peace. Because you have the king of kings. And his rule extends far beyond this one. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. There is no perfect government, but there is a perfect God reigning above all of them. And that's true if you're joining us from another country. That's true if you're joining us from another state. 
that's true regardless. We have a perfect God who still is holding us in the palm of his hand. You know, I recognize his authority as uh, sharing a devotion this past week from Psalm chapter 2. And there King David was commenting on God's authority and rule. In Psalm 2, he said this. Next passage. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. There is no power above God's power. There is no rule above his rule. And what this is saying is they will answer to the king of kings. They will be accountable to the one who knows how to raise up leaders and bring down leaders. He's in control. And so today as we talk about God's rule and authority, we're going to do it through the lens of Romans chapter 13. Now, i got to warn you, this is one of the most challenging sections of Scripture, okay? Um, the reason it's so challenging, just FYI, is because we're called to submission. Now, I don't know about you, but submission is a hard word. I know I need to submit in marriage. That, that's God's goal in marriage, submit to one another. I know I need to submit to God in all things, right, um, that, that I should try to follow his lead. But this call to submission, I have so many logical arguments against. I, I have like a knee-jerk reaction, but, but, but. And because that's the case, I want to explore the background of these verses before we get into the call for submission. So Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. And the emperor that is known at this time is Nero. And if you would look up bad leaders and bad government, you would find Nero at the head of the Roman Empire. In fact, here's a picture of Nero um, when Rome was on fire. And the story goes that he started the fire in order to build himself a bigger palace and a statue. And he's playing the lyre. He's rejoicing as his city burns, as people's lives are devastated. And after the fire, he has the audacity to blame Christians for doing it. They're the rebels. They're the uprisers. They're causing all the chaos. He is notorious for poorly treating Christians. In fact, some say he had garden parties where the candlelight was Christians who were set on fire to give light for the party that he was having. And into this dynamic, Paul says these words. Let's get into it. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Nero. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer as they create and sustain order. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. So give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, 
than honor. These are powerful words that can be culture changers. But before we continue, can you participate? Can you turn to your neighbor and tell you, we have the King of Kings. We have the King of Kings. Thank you, thank you. So I'm just wondering, how many of you are planners? So I, I love to know my, my planners. Where, where are the planners? That's awesome. I am morphing into a planner. That's what I'm telling myself. I have a growth mindset because of Pastor Jeff, and so I am morphing into a planner, and I'm learning from some of the best planners. There's uh, great plans from Pastor Jeff and our staff. It's amazing. And um, the reason I bring up the idea of planning and planners is because if you can relate to that, you can relate to God. What I believe is that God is a very specific planner. Now, Christmas is coming. I don't know how many of you are excited for that. Um, just a few, you know, days away. And uh, something that we know about Christmas is that there was a very specific plan. In fact, in the book of Galatians, look what it says. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, that last part is so beautiful. It's the gospel. God gives up his son to make us sons and daughters, and that's what you are simply as a gift. How awesome is God's plan? But what I see very clearly is this was not a willy-nilly decision. God had the time, the place, the person all picked out to the very fine details. And when you look at that, you see that in those details was even a plan for the form of government that existed. So during the time that Jesus was born, it was known as a period called the Pax Romana. And some of you might know that just means the Roman peace. Historians say it was from 27 B.C. to 180 A.D. And, um, and this was a time uh, where, where because of peace, you could travel. Because of the extent of the Roman Empire, there was a common language. And why that matters is because when Jesus saves the world through his death and resurrection... And when Paul is appointed to go share that message, guess what he has? Safe travel and a common language as a Roman citizen. Paul's missionary journeys look like this. He went on three of them. He went as far as Rome. Some say he might even made it to Spain. And what I believe is that this would not have been possible without the Pax Romana. That part of God's plan was in enabling this activity so that people would know Jesus. Because it wasn't about the Roman Empire. It was about the kingdom of God coming to many, many people. God had a very specific plan. It's something I saw in my personal Bible study. I'm reading from the book of Isaiah right now. And this is phenomenal. In Isaiah, there's this prophecy about a, a ruler named Cyrus who would lead the Babylonians. What's so interesting about this prophecy is that it is 200 years before Cyrus is born. 200 years before this world ruler is even born, Isaiah is talking about him by name and what he will do. In the book of Isaiah, here's the quote from uh, chapter 45. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. He's got a plan for this guy. To Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. He would use Cyrus so that his own people, the Jews, would go into Babylonian captivity. That was according to his plan. It's incredible. 
And then there's Daniel. I don't know if you've read the book of Daniel. This is when the Jews are in Babylonian captivity. And the king at the time has a vision of a statue. And this statue's prophecy has in mind the next thousand years of world power. What Daniel was able to explain to the king at the time is this statue, that Babylon would rule for a while. That's when he's prophesying. That's when Daniel is talking about. And then Persia would rule. And then Greece would rule. And Rome would rule. This is a thousand years predicted by a man of God because of God. In fact, uh, I got this image uh, from a website where you can get a mug with this image on. And I just think it'd be a great idea for us to get these mugs and like on the back say, God's got a plan. That's the confidence I think we should have in what God is doing. And I say all of this to explain verse 1. Because in verse 1, this is what it says. There is no authority, none, no rulers, except which God has established. And the authorities that exist have been established by God. And so if we're taking notes, here's our first one. Next villain, God has a specific plan, and he uses earthly governments. And because we're in a spiritual place, I want to open your minds. Open your minds and think that God's plan is bigger than any earthly plan. Because God's kingdom is more important, and it's bigger than any earthly kingdom. And if all of that is true then what should happen in the United States of America? I wonder what is God's plan. Now, I'm going to conjecture in the mind of God through a bit of history. First of all, I always hope that there will be peace and good leadership. But I need to give some history just to inform a little bit of background, okay? So go with me here. I'm going to say, let's pray for good leaders. Let's pray for peace. Let's pray for prosperity and all that goes with it, including and especially the sharing of the gospel. But let me give you some historical background. When the government became, in general, Christian, it led to a very hollow Christianity. You were Christian in name but not at core because it was the popular thing to do. When the government was against Christians historically, it forced Christians to rise up, to stand firm because they had to. They had to fight for something more important than what was going on in their country. So what we see historically is that when Christianity is popular in a country, it leads to apathy. When it's persecuted in a country, it leads to strength because you rise up. Now, where are we in America? What is the state of Christianity in America? I'm not the only spiritual doctor who has deduced that right now our major diagnosis is apathy. And I'm not trying to speak personally or specifically, but I'm speaking in general. Our major diagnosis is apathy. So is it possible, is it possible that God, who has a plan, might allow things not to get better but worse so that we by necessity have to stand up? So that we by necessity have to say there is something more worth it than what's going on in my community. It's about a heavenly kingdom. It's about the king of kings. Is that possible as we go forward? I don't know. I still pray for good leaders. I still pray that God would use us in good times to create a revival. But is it possible he could use bad for good? Absolutely, he's done it before. Which leads to my next point. Our next villain is this. 
God's plan, it is not stopped by evil rulers. <laughs> what happens? Evil rulers get used by God's plan. See, there was this authority called the devil, titled the prince of the world. And the prince of the world came with his evil against Jesus in the desert, tempting him many times and three recorded. And it was when the devil was doing that that Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness in our place. There was the authority called the Sanhedrin. And they put together a kangaroo court where they falsely accused Jesus and they sentenced him to death even though he didn't deserve it. And little did they know that they just picked the path he had already picked out. There was a time Jesus stood in front of the earthly authority, Herod. And Herod wanted him to be a puppet, putting on a performance. But little did Herod know, he was the puppet in this play. There was a time Jesus stood before Pilate. And Pilate asked about his kingdom. And he didn't say much. But there was this quiet confidence that soon he would conquer, not in spite of, but because of the crucifixion. Do you see it, friends? When you look at all the evil attempts formed against the king of kings, what does he do? He uses them for his purposes. He uses them for his kingdom. And we see that in the cross when the culmination of evil power was exacted. It is in that moment that he won. And so what I say to you is this. Do not be afraid by the evil that exists. You have a king over it and he's still going to use it for our good. See, your king is above all things, all power, all rule, all authority for the sake of the church because that is the kingdom that matters. And that is us. And I needed to establish that. I needed to say it forcefully and winsomely because this next part is so hard. Because this next part says, because that's the case, here's what we do. So everyone must submit to the governing authority. Now, a deep dive into the Greek uh, basically makes this broader. Uh, basically, that if someone has authority over you, that's where you have the need for submission. And so my mind went to a lot of different realms. It, it didn't just go to the government. It went to uh, when I was a kid with my parents. I know there's some kids here. Um, when, when it came to teachers and coaches, it can be extended, as Martin Luther does in the Fourth Commandment, to, to any authority, all the local ordinances, the, the mayors and the governors and everyone in authority, right? And, and so my, my mind went to my household. Do you remember what it was like being a kid in your household? Just go there with me. And maybe there are some kids right now. When it came to being a kid in your household, how effective was it to argue against the laws? I don't know your experience. How effective was it? How, how happy were mom and dad? How pleased were they when you gave them a look like this? Did it go well? It could have been a discussion about curfew. You can argue about 11 o'clock, and you can have a parent who says, oh, you don't like 11, 1030 it is. Oh, you don't like that? Yep, 10. You want to keep this up? You might not go out, mister. Right? You have that teacher who, when the kids complain about the assignment, like one page, it's, that's too much to write. All right, two pages. You want to keep, we'll get three. 
Yeah, you'll be all weekend as homework because you're putting this up, right? And the real goal of being a kid, the real goal of being a classmate, the real goal of being under someone was not to argue. It went way better if you just did what was told. It went way better when you just said, yep, I'm a kid. I'm going to do what I'm told. Here we go. Don't need to argue this one. That's how it's supposed to be. And then we became adults. Oh. <laughs> and now we have all this logic. And we have understanding of the person. And sometimes we're older than the authorities. You ever get that old? That's fun. Right? And now the kids are telling us what to do. And we're like, but you're a kid. And so it becomes harder to be a child. But friends, it goes much easier if we just humble ourselves and say, this is what needs to be done. So I would remind you, God's guardrail against rebellion is simple. Obey. Obey. In fact, he says there's a promise if you obey. Are you ready for more peace? Because again, that's my goal for you. You ready for a path of peace? Look, look what the next verse says. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, you want to be free from fear? You want to be at peace? Do what is right. Listen to the laws, obey them, and you'll be commended. You know, when it came to this, <laughs> it reminded me a little about traffic. <laughs> can, I, can I be real? So sometimes when I go past police, I get cold sweats. Because when I go past police, I'm like, how much was I going? Right? Sometimes when I find a police officer behind me, I get cold sweats again. Like, it just happens, right? The whole body. Because I don't know how long they've been following me, and I, I don't know if I've been aware, right? You know? And, and then I was thinking of this passage, and I'm like, Dustin, there's a way to avoid cold sweats. Obey the law! Yeah, how about it? And maybe this extends to one realm or another, right? Um, maybe it's, it's taxes, and, and we get afraid of this word called audit, right? Um, and you do turbo tax, and I'm going to pay for the audit people to help me, right? But, but there's a way to have peace. Be above board. Do it according to code. It's great. God says when we obey, many times we'll be commended. Commended for our good. But this passage is up there that gives us the, the one time that we can disobey. And let me explain the context of this passage. So Peter, after the resurrected Christ, was told he could not preach that message. They had just arrested him. They had imprisoned him. Uh, they had threatened him. You cannot talk about the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Peter says, no way. No way. I, 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 I belong to a greater kingdom. And so he said, you know what, we have to obey God rather than men. And so you might be wondering, Pastor, it has to be a time that we can be rebel. We, we have to have a time where we can stand up. And, and there is a guardrail for rebellion. Are you ready? Guardrail for rebellion and, and to have righteous rebellion is only and when they tell us to sin. If the government told us to stop worshiping Jesus, we'd be here. We'd figure out a way. If the government wants us to sin against our neighbor, we'd say, no, no way. That's not how we treat them. God told us otherwise. There is a time to rebel. But can we be honest and real? 
That's so hard. We want to rebel for so much less than sin. There's part of us that wants to rebel because of the character of the authority making the law. There's part of us that wants to rebel because we don't agree with the law. There's part of us that want to rebel simply because we have a rebel heart. And perhaps along the way in this discussion, you're, you're finding the mark that God set for us and how far we are from that mark. And God's call for us is repentance. Because he would remind us as a church family, we're not just rebelling against an authority, we're rebelling against him. And with that, Jesus perhaps has never looked more beautiful than in this picture. Jesus, in the midst of this discussion on politics, Jesus, who had every rationale to talk about how the rules were unfair and the character of the leaders, had every rationale to lead a rebellion because he is the king of kings. And what does he do? He submits. <laughs> Give to Caesar what is Caesar's? And I would remind you, the reason he does this is not primarily to show us an example no, it's primarily to save us. It's to operate as that perfect citizen in an earthly kingdom that was foul and still honor it in a way that we often don't. You know, through faith in him, you have that righteousness. You are considered perfect in the kingdom of heaven simply through Jesus Christ, who didn't just submit to that situation but submitted to the cross. And then, three days later, he proved he was the king of kings. He displayed his power. And he convinced us that we will reign with him someday in a kingdom that will never end. And that kingdom is superior by far. Hmm. How great is our Savior? But there's an opportunity. Before we go, there's an opportunity in these words to be culture changers, to redeem the idea of politics in our current situation, to act so differently that people are like, what in the world is that? But it's good. And so what we need to do, I believe, is reframe the conversation. Reframe the conversation from the perspective of God's lens. And so what I want to talk about now is the good that government does, the continued good that they do. In fact, to talk about it, uh, some of you might have observed there's a police officer often on Route 30 right by Pfeiffer Road. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? They are just camped out on that road, and I had a chance to reframe recently. See, for a while, I'm just like, well, they must need some taxes. You know, um, the revenue's down, so they're going to be there to catch me for five over on my way to church. Don't they know I'm doing God's will? <laughs> but then I got an inward discussion. I was with a group of friends, and friends who knew the Frankfurt police. And do you know why they're there? The discussion from the Frankfurt police is this, is that this is a thoroughfare for drugs. And they are looking for cargo trucks, box trucks that are carrying drugs so they can crack down on it and keep our community safe. You might have heard that fentanyl is being dressed up as Skittles as we consider Halloween and 
especially looking at the candy of the kids. You might know that even in our high school, it's not just light drugs. There are heavy drugs in our communities today. So when I see that police officer who wants to keep my kids safe and want to keep our teens safe, when I see him on the lookout for, for, for someone who's going to get drugs, you know what I have a different perspective on? I, thank you. Thank you. That's why I felt this past year I was at a, a Sox game. I, I root for both, by the way. Please accept me in Chicago. I know it doesn't work, but I love Chicago. Is that bad? Okay, I just love you all. So I was at a Sox game. And while I was at a Sox game, we heard what sounded like fireworks, but there were no fireworks. And sure enough, I had a pastor who tracks the shootings in Chicago because he lives downtown. And it was reported that there was a shooting. And I'm not trying to be political. But I have to tell you, when I walked out of the stadium and we had groups of kids, I was happy there were police officers. I was happy there was a representation of the law and those who were ready to enforce the law, and it made me feel safe. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. See, there are good authorities who are fighting hard to create and maintain good order in a complex environment. And if that's the case, what do we owe them? A scowl when they pull us over and tell us a headlight's out? What do we owe them? Paul tells us. Next passage, the one about owing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. What's owed for people that do us good? It's a word of thanks. Thanks for having them back. Thanks for keeping us safe. Thanks for teaching the kids. Thanks for putting out the fire. Thanks for trying to advocate for, for this complex issue and, and fight for it in a way that, that you think will create good order. Thank you. Thank you. If you've ever been in leadership, you know that the higher you go up, the more complex it gets. You are navigating the gray, friends, if you've ever been in leadership. That's why we should pray for our leaders. Okay? And so our next takeaway of what is owed. What is owed? The fill-in. Prayer, that's from other contexts of Scripture. Respect and thanks. In fact, uh, we can take our cue uh, from one of our great leaders. Uh, does anyone love uh, President Abe Lincoln? Because <laughs> we live in the land of Lincoln. And I consider a, a very famous letter that he wrote. It's called the Bigsby Letter. Uh, it's a letter that he wrote to a mother who had lost five sons in war. And so he paused, and these are the words that he said. He said, I feel how weak and fruitless must any words of mine, which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the republic they died to save. That's a good man with a good example. And what if we flip that? What if we were the people who paused as kids going back to our parents, as kids going back to a classroom, as citizens of a community who pause and see good activity and just say, hey, thanks. I appreciate what you're doing. What if we wrote letters, snail mail? It'd shock people today, I think. 
It'd be a culture changer. And yes, we might not agree with everything, but do we have a reason for thanks? Let's be about that. And so what's our next step? Our next step for today is to pray for and honor those in authority. For we're citizens of two kingdoms. We have a responsibility to vote, to pray, to act honorably. Let's be good in this kingdom to prove that we're good in the other one too. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, I love just this opportunity to confess our faith. And so today, we're just going to encourage one another uh, through the confession of the Nicene Creed. Please join in. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.